Hello. Welcome to where? Where the fuck is, is that? Is that? Where really the fuck is that? Broken the intro. <laughs> it's been a long time. I don't remember how this is done. So this time, where the fuck is that? We have for Matthew to begin with. Uh, Lasaka. Lasaka. Yes. What is Lasaka like? Lasaka sounds like a very verdant place. I imagine in a nice mountainside town, lots of trees, a rich person sort of retreat to go to Lasaka for the holidays, go for the summer. You've got your little um, colonial style house, you know, overlooking the sunset in Lasaka. And with that, quite warm, nice temperatures, but not too warm because you've got like the high mountain altitudes. I feel like it's got like a little fresh fruit. Maybe they do like a very special, like fancy sausage or something. <laughs> Nothing really happens there, but you have all these like community events that are made for all these like rich people just coming in, like native pottery class or, you know, um, do basket weaving just like the locals. The, the parish hall has like a little like dance sessions and bingo and stuff for all the old folkies who then like retire to Lusaka. <laughs> right they're like two young people it's like yeah. two teenagers stuck there <laughs> no one can afford it unless like your parents have already retired there and mm. if you're a local it's just like oh god help get me out of here <laughs> <laughs> yeah the house prices are so inflated compared to like what they're actually worth just yeah designed for <laughs> for rich tourists to settle down there you just have a rubbishy little um little villa which otherwise is just a shit house but it's like ooh the authenticity the culture <laughs> it's yeah you'd be doing everything you'd be doing in the city but you're just doing it the countryside so it's worth more yeah but the pace of life is just so much better in the sack <laughs> the weather like in the in this mountainside region yeah like, yeah like i said i feel like very um very like uh mid-20s so kind of accessible to most people because otherwise you wouldn't retire there if there's any like sign of minor difficulty such as having to deal with heat or cold you know same temperature all year round people send posts on instagram like haha like christmas in osaka and it's just like a mild day this is the way <laughs> to live yeah when global warming comes the sack is going to be safe because they're so extreme <laughs> exactly nothing to amp up it's just going to be more neutral <laughs> yeah no like tornadoes or tsunamis in osaka because you're just like perched on a nice little mountain retreat yeah it's not too far up the mountain that like you're gonna get strong winds or anything yeah and it's they've got like a little um tram system so all the old people can just like scoot up and down without having to climb the mountain <laughs> nice okay so you can get to the top of the with the low trams then mm -hmm. which are oh, just yeah. like pulled by the locals and they're like oh yeah this is the way we do it please pay me to pull up this tram system thank you see it's just don't uh, invent new jobs be a good photo up but there's they don't have instagram to post it to so, you know. <laughs> <laughs> right oh, and show me how to instagram so i could show all my friends <laughs> <laughs> uh, i need to show them the view of the valley <laughs> it's the Everything. same picture for everyone it's just like a glass of wine and then like a verdant valley in the distance like yeah <laughs> there's like a queue and like it's the same glass of wine no one drinks it <laughs> <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> five yeah, seconds the, the wine's terrible you just chuck it out afterwards <laughs> yeah. so speaking of wine what what food would go alongside the wine in, La, in lasaka 
I said, fresh fruit and that kind of jazz, which we seem to circulate around with a lot of these places. Fresh fruit <laughs> seems to be something we're deprived of in our own ordinary lives. But also because of all these old people coming in, I'd say it'd be quite a fusion mix because everyone's like, oh, I wish I had, you know, my grandmother's lasagna here. Or, you know, I wish I had like a hot pot. And so there's all these pop-up restaurants and things. So you can get kind of any food, but they're all pitching it to be like, you know, just like your mother made, but it's all very commercialized. And also the, the accessibility of, oh, at first it was just like an actual nice town with, you know, actual authentic, like little coffee shops and things like that. And now they're just Starbucks because, you know, fast, fast and cheap and fun. It's what people want. Yeah. So like your homemade uh, set is like imported from the city that was the tourists <laughs> coming from. So they're not really having anything different. It's just being sold to them uh, as the <laughs> taste it's, of the country. It's like, I saw this, um, it wasn't even sarcastic, this um, photo on Twitter of like a Starbucks, but it was in like a sort of mudstone building with like a straw thatched tropical style, like roofing on it with wooden beams to create like a veranda. And everyone was right. like, wow, this is so beautiful. I'm like, it's still a Starbucks though. It's just <laughs> in a different building. Like, I don't know, you probably, people pay like twice the amount just to sit in the same Starbucks and have the same bad coffee. Yeah, it's just a fancy roof. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well... In terms of food, since we end up uh, with fresh fruit most of the time, we can ask more pointed questions, I suppose. So what would they? What would someone have in a wedding? Ooh, that's a good question. I like this changing it up. A wedding lasaka. I feel like it also is probably very good for weddings um, mm. in the same way that you retreat for the summer, you retreat for your honeymoon to lasaka. I don't know if they would have anything unique because mm. if you're going for a wedding, you're just imposing your own culture on the saga but i'd say it would be quite like for the actual origins it would be quite simple and they probably wouldn't even serve cakes and things because i can't imagine there'd be like a lot of wheat fields or anything like that for flour just up mm. on this mountainside i'm thinking like flan or something or something like very like um simple or like mm. um summery picnic barbecue sort of things if you can mm. imagine that back to fruit and veg again but like you know um like just skewers of uh fresh vegetables but People coming there claim that they want the chilled, you know, simple lifestyle, but mm -hmm. then are like, but where's my three-tiered cake? Like, <laughs> well, I don't, I can have a barbecue anywhere. <laughs> In Osaka, you get pie with no filling. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're like, hey, we imported this flour just for you. Be grateful. <laughs> I guess it would be like a fruit pie. It would be like, um, you know, like fresh berries, like harvested berries pie, mm. like a summer fruits pie. I would have a pie underway. It sounds great. Like a tart. Is a better word for it. It sounds uh, like oh, low locally grown ingredients or whatever, but it, it's a, uh, it's not really. Or even if it is, it'd be like you know, factory produced fertilizer. Just like ah. yeah, it's <laughs> like it's like free range chicken where they're only allowed like a meter of space. It's like well, it's technically free range. <laughs> yeah, they're free. It's just not not very free. <laughs> Didn't specify the level of freedom you wanted. <laughs> We're all free-range chickens in Lusaka. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so in Lusaka, discussed that people are chill, that tourists are even more chill for virtue of being there. So the actual locals, well, what would they be like? You know, last time with the Brandon Fraser, they were all in on the all in on the gig, uh, but would the Lusaka people accept the tourism trade? I think, yeah, I think there are some parallels to Brendan Fraser land, but with the Saka people, I think they're just fucking tired. It's kind of like being 
from the only comparison I think of is like being from Edinburgh and then Fringe comes around and you can't even like go anywhere in your own city because everything's Airbnb'd up, all the Ubers are out in force, like the whole city has been taken over by like empty money of people like booking and preparing things that they don't always end up going to. So like people in Osaka are just like, wow, I would love to have a house in my own town, but they're all freaking <laughs> 10 times the price. And if they are available, they've been booked for an Airbnb like 10 years from now, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? So I feel like people like just are stuck in the capitalist trade of like having to like be tour guides and be, you know, Starbucks baristas, but really mm-hmm. want to push all these old people out. But in doing so, they would fuck over their own town. You know what I mean? So you're just caught in this horrible cycle of like, we have to keep funding this machine, but also it's destroying what we have. Yeah, they're like really strong regulations of how you can like, I don't know, build your house. So it's to look like a specific way. Yeah. It's like, oh, you get a house from, my, from Ikea, like, <laughs> there's a house. Exactly. It's, it's like, oh yeah, you have to have this like really old style, um, like thatched roofing and people are just like, can I have like double glazing? Like, can I have plumbing? <laughs> Do we really have to pretend that we're in this like ye olde town just for the sake of other people? Yeah. They like angle the buildings the way that you can't see the television towers. Like, <laughs> yes. Yeah, there's like all these um, zoning laws of like you have to go like a mile into the forest, you know, get Wi-Fi or something because it's mm-hmm. like Wi-Fi free zone. <laughs> okay, so they, they're unhappy. Aging population, you know, it's sort of unsustainable. I think it's a powder keg. Like it's only going to take one old person like stepping on in front of um, like a car or something trying to take an Instagram before the local people were like, right, we're burning everyone down. <laughs> get your machetes. We're getting rid of everyone. <laughs> the big great conflict, the generational conflict of Lusaka. Everyone going to war. The the two young force. people versus the, <laughs> the hordes of aging tourists. Oh, Stephanie in Brooklyn are not happy. <laughs> <laughs> it's, yeah, they'd be trading all their lives. <laughs> Just doing karate in the, in the backyard. <laughs> uh Okay, so before it was taken over by by the corporations and uh, and corporate greed, uh, what was Lusaka like? It feels like it's a like a point town, like a place between two places originally. So it's kind of um, I imagine like you would go from one town to base the mountain, travel over, purge Lusaka, and then get to the other side, kind of. And then they had this throwaway trade, like very, very, very back, you know, taking like mules and things up with like supplies, aside from freaking fresh fruit, like, you know, coffee <laughs> and stuff like that, tobacco, like being moved off the mountainside. And I feel like, yeah, it had very like small time vibes and just grew for simple, like to accommodate like more and more people staying. And mm. then those people staying transformed into people further and further afield and technology advanced until it was all just people. Basically, they created the infrastructure of housing people and then shot themselves in the foot because now it's all others and not like their own people yeah yeah so it's like you know the the fantasy crossroad in mm. if it just grew out of control <laughs> into like a place it's just people stop by sometimes they stay sometimes they don't but it's, it's um, just like <laughs> taken over by like D adventuring parties basically <laughs> it's like, please leave do your quest somewhere else yeah no no one no one asks what happens when adventurers retire and, and now we know that sounds <laughs> like go, a good tagline for a, they, for a camping guide <laughs> yeah they go to lasaka <laughs> <laughs> and they build well they don't build starbucks but starbucks are built around them 
so what would I do? Well, if I wasn't, let's say, because we've spoken a lot about what the terrorists would do or, or as in the people coming in. But for those poor two teenagers, um, <laughs> what did they do with their time to try and rebel against this, against this system? Oh, I was imagining the teenagers were like like the, the children of these old people who had then grown up in Osaka, but you're talking about the actual teens of Osaka. They they are. They've grown up there, so they oh, are I guess, the yeah. Osaka. They're the new generation of Osaka yeah, teens. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like Osaka teens is definitely like a really like annoying branding opportunity that they've done as well, where it's just mm. like 80 style Osaka teens. Um, I think I don't think there's a lot to do apart from like feeding into the um, like into the machine of like you can mm. do all these like adventuring things. There's always a stuff like the safari tour, you know what I mean? Or like there's the wild mountain like um, axe throwing and adventure park or something. <laughs> um, and then, of course, all like the bingo stuff for the old fogies. But I think for teens, kind of like Brennan Fraserland, it's kind of about making your own fun. But I imagine that goes down a dark path sometimes where it sort of starts with like people just running off into the forest, like outer Canadian style and just like illegally drinking. And then it turns into sort of like <laughs> little weed rings and that kind of thing, because like yeah. you're so fucking bored out of your head. So people just like go get high, light a fire in the forest, like throw stones and shit, you know, shoot bottles. That kind yeah, of thing. it's a classic small town stuff. Yeah. yeah. Drug trades. Out in the boonies. Skyrocketing. Yeah. It's just slowly building on the fringes. Speaking of skyrocketing, I imagine they have a lot of like illegal fireworks that they set off to. That sounds mm. like a teenager thing to do. It's, yeah. So many forest fires. <laughs> just slowly encroaching. It's like, oh, one day those, those darn kids can burn down the town. <laughs> this Starbucks they're... doesn't have any sprinkler system because it's got a thatched <laughs> roof. <laughs> the coffee's going to be even more burnt. Yeah, but the building regulations make everything extra flammable. <laughs> it's just like, <laughs> oh, we never foresaw <laughs> there might be a gas fire one day. <laughs> and now the whole village is gone. One bad fire and the sack is poof. <laughs> <laughs> it's sort of like London back in the day. It's just... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Start one factory burns and it's ah shit. Let's let's all leave. <laughs> Come back when it's over, when it's stopped. <laughs> I think that the teenagers also like to do a bit of um like off-road racing as well. Because you've got all these safari and venture tour things, right? So I'm imagining there's a lot of like dune buggy sort of get-ups or like you know, those kind of like mini sort of truck things, um, like open top trucks. And I imagine if you have parents or at least you're a local and your parents like own the like the tour group or something there's bound to be times when people have taken these little golf caddies and just absolutely revved the shit out of them like through the forest risking each other whilst probably intoxicated <laughs> no one's died yet though so it's pretty it's still good fun mm. yeah i mean probably like at least one formula one driver came came from uh, from lasaka <laughs> i'm not sure if we had a formula one driver before when we talked, where the fuck is that? We talked in our very first um, inauguration of this. It was an entire Formula One driving town. Oh, yeah, that was a recorded. I, I can't remember the name of it, but. <laughs> no, this one. Yeah, no, yeah. Those are in the archives. <laughs> this is Patreon content, which we don't have. Oh, yeah, it's just in the void, but, uh, you know, <laughs> it, it's come back briefly now with that one teenager from Lusaka who made it big. His name was Lewis Hamilton. <laughs> <laughs> and that boy was Lewis Hamilton. 
Nice. Okay, so uh, real Lusaka. It uh, sounds like Moussaka, which makes me think it's Greek. Uh, it's L-U-S-A-K-A. Lusaka. Okay. So Lusaka is in the southern part of the central plateau of Zambia. Oh, okay. Yeah, so the central plateau, I think, means uh, it's plateau. high up near a mountain range, but it's like not quite as tall as the mountains. There are mountains, and then there's a space between them, and that's the central plateau, I think. That's my geography skills, everybody. It's, it's pretty high, so that's what makes me think it. Yeah, its elevation is a thousand... 279 meters oh okay i believe that's measured from sea level i think that's how elevation works i think it is (laughs) so a fun fact the saka rests on the ground on ground that is a quarter as tall as the peak of hotel pacifica which you can read about in my blog (laughs) more details to come in a break Oh, kudos to you for that amazing segue. (laughs) Well, that's an important fact for sure. Uh, More important, I think, is the fact that Lusaka is the capital of Zambia. (laughs) So probably know that I've never heard of Lusaka. Mm. It's uh, it's the country's largest city, which sometimes people expect out of capitals, but you know it's not always the case because Brazil has Brasilia, which is nowhere near the largest city, I think, because São Paulo is. So yeah, but Lusaka is the quintessential largest city. I think in 2018, it had 2.5 million people. I'm not sure what that means because I don't remember how many people London has, but I feel like that's a quite sizable amount. I mean, I don't know 2.5 million people, so it's quite a lot to me. <laughs> yeah, but you know, in terms of like scales, uh, it's a lot of people. It's a, it's a viral YouTube video's worth of human beings. I'm going to take a risk, which may make me sound like an idiot, but I believe the population of Ireland is 8 million. Well, that's this one city is about a quarter of the population of Ireland, then. A bit more than a quarter. That's... No, no, it's much less. It's much less. It's 4 million. Oh, okay. So either I'm exaggerating the number of people in Lusaka, or uh, there's about half of Ireland in, in, in that city alone. I mean, Ireland's population has been pretty small since the famine, so... Fun fact, not so fun. (laughs) (laughs) We haven't had many capitals in Where the Fuck Is That, so I think Lusaka is is quite special among our previous features. I think it might be the first capital so far. Um, Mm -hmm. Because of its altitude, Lusaka is a humid subtropical climate. Uh, This is a climate characterized by hot and humid summers and mild to cold winters which just seems like a way of saying it's always a bit damp. And How's the... your meteorology degree going since last time? <laughs> <laughs> no, deeper. it's great. <laughs> yeah, it was like, it's humid subtropical. And then I immediately was like, oh, I have to know what this is. So I went on a bender uh, looking up the classification. And the classification, of course, is brought to us by Koppen Climate Classification. I love Coppin. See him every time on Wikipedia. <laughs> yeah. So it's just a it's a really nice piece of alliteration, if you ask me, you know, Coppin climate classification. There are three main seasons in Lusaka. There's a warm monsoon uh, between November to March, a dry winter between April and August, and then finally a hot summer from September to October. I looked up what a monsoon in 
Mawala monsoon is, and I don't quite understand it. It's a heavy but, rain period. Yeah, but it's not like it's not like how it's depicted. It's, it doesn't necessarily automatically mean floods, you know. Just so like high, more than average rainfall. I think is the mm. base level definition nice. over a period of time. What if somewhere never rains? Then anything would be more than average. I guess. I guess. Well, if you if you're in the desert and it suddenly starts raining for like a month, that would be a monsoon. Don't add us geography experts. <laughs> <laughs> Just take our word on it. That's what a monsoon is. Moving on. This podcast makes me realize how little I know about things. <laughs> Just in general. <laughs> no, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, what's the food like? As is classically a case in where the fuck is that? Couldn't find anything about the food specifically in Lusaka. So I had to go through the whole country. So Zambian cuisine is heavily centered around nishma, which is a food prepared from pounded white maize. So nishma is a part of every Zambian meal. In addition to nishma, Zambian cuisine includes various types of stews, cooked vegetables, and different types of beer. What the pounded types of white... Beer? <laughs> All right, I was just making a really dumb joke. No, go on. I want to hear it. Pounded white maize is my porn name. <laughs> uh, very nice. Continue with the very serious conversation that you're having. Yeah, I was just going to talk about beer. What different <laughs> types of beer? So, uh, well, maize beer, of course, which is a thing. But also mossy and rhino beer, which are what? very, yeah, very metal names. But they don't reveal much about what they're made from. At least I hope not. Uh, rhino beer sounds really, like, strong, is what mm. I think. Like it would fuck you up. Yeah, just like grayish, blue. <laughs> That's where all the rhinos have gone. <laughs> I think the last white rhino died recently. Oh, really? Oh, well, they just had to make that final <laughs> cask of beer, you know? <laughs> Some old person is drinking it in their summer retreat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then they're like sniffing their nose like, ooh. Too strong for my for my Chucks it out, yeah. <laughs> Ciao. The mountainside. Get me a Starbucks. <laughs> Double sugar frappuccino, please. <laughs> Extra hot. None of this rhino for me. Um, okay, so <laughs> rhino beer. Then another fun fact. Uh, the first Zambian beer festival was held on September 25th, 2009 at the Barclays Sports Complex in Lusaka. It's going to be a running thing. They're really big on sports, but yeah. And an even funner fact was uh, until researching Lusaka, I had no idea the maize and corn were the same thing. Hey, I thought yeah. maize was a different type of corn. I mean, according to Wikipedia, it was like maize, also known as corn. Bruh. <laughs> Again, feeling very dumb. <laughs> yeah, for like my whole life, I thought maize was like some sort of grain. Yeah, well, I mean, I guess it is because corn's a grain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maize, also known as corn. So that's interesting. Ooh. Anyways, okay. The more you know, but the back to food. <laughs> Nishma makes up the main component of Zambian meals, and it's made from pounded white maize. Matthew's poor name. <laughs> it's spit take. <laughs> it's served with radish stew and vegetables, and eaten by hand, preferably the right hand, because you know. The left hand has like associations with, uh, you know, yeah. with old Satan and such for some reason. <laughs> no corn for Satan. No, no, he's he's 
I don't know what he eats on. He's been a very naughty boy. <laughs> He's full on souls, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't. No, I've had I've had so many souls. I could not. Okay, just a little bit. <laughs> no more pounded white maize, please. <laughs> <laughs> and what are the people like? I couldn't again, as per Wikipedia and its limitations. Uh, there's not much on the people themselves, but in terms of Zambia, Zambia's contemporary culture is a blend of values, norms, and spiritual traditions for more than 70 ethnically diverse people. So most of the tribes of Zambia moved into the area in a series of uh, migrationary waves like a few centuries ago. And English is the official language of its, uh, the city administration, but I apologize. Nyanja and Bema are the commonly spoken street languages. So even though like the government speaking English, the actual people are still retain the, the languages of the country. Sounds like the retirement village. Everyone's forced to speak English and it's not actually the language. <laughs> what is the language, Matthew, now that you, you brought it up? It's, uh, um, mm, that's what the language is called. Mm. Ma. <laughs> you got to get that plosive sound at the end to really ma. ma. Very, very, very nice. I, I would like to learn it one day. Hopefully, Please they don't added. quiz me on this in like three episodes <laughs> later because I will forget that I said it. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta add it to Duolingo, everybody. <laughs> Sponsored by Duolingo. <laughs> yeah. Oh, hopefully. Oh, yeah. well, that'd be great. <laughs> can speak about them during the break. Hopefully, you get some notoriety. So, oh, right. No, because uh, sports. Yeah. So, in terms of the people, the Welsh state don't have any, they didn't have any generic statements on the people of Lusaka. It did have like the greatest hits. So, uh, the rugby union player Corny Kurige and George Gregon, they they come from Lusaka. So they they were born in the same hospital actually, and they're good for them. Presumably famous rugby players. I mean, yeah, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know rugby, but I hope one listener in like. Texas, who we know and appreciate. Uh, Thank you. Also, our <laughs> listener in Germany. Yeah, hopefully they know rugby. <laughs> also, the the former Zimbabwe cricketer Henry Olonga was born in Lusaka, but then he played for Zimbabwe. So I'm not sure how they feel about that. Ah, uh, he he was the first black cricketer and the youngest person to play for Zimbabwe. Again, it's Zimbabwe, so a different country. Yes, cricket is current at the minute for us, at least. That's our, our link. Yeah, it's the New Zealand-England match. Oh, well, nice. Well, where the fuck is that sort of timeless? But, you know. <laughs> <laughs> We've referenced several things that have just happened in this episode alone. <laughs> but okay. Lusaka is also the hometown <laughs> and place of residence of Joseph and Luca Banda the first conjoined twins to be successfully separated by Ben Carson and his team. That's cool. Yeah. Wow. Do you know Ben Carson? I think I know, like, just generally a guy called Ben Carson, but I assume it's not right. the same person. I it feel like he, name. it sounds like he's the first person to separate conjoined twins from this sentence alone, but I did not look up who Ben Carson is because he's not from Lusaka. What was the city like in the past? So Lusaka was the site of a village named after its chief, Lusaka, uh, which, according to history, was located at the Manda Hill, 
near where Zambia's National Assembly building now stands. And in the Ninja, 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 I apologize again. In their language, <laughs> Manda means graveyard. And the area was expanded by European settlers in 1905. And then it's just a lot of colonial history. I tried to find... But the area means graveyard? Yeah, the hill we was founded on meant graveyard. Oh, Stephen King would eat that shit up. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, after 1905, it's a lot of railway British history. Tried to find history before that, but it was, it was kind of difficult. So we're just going to skip. <laughs> several decades of colonialism <laughs> but yeah so what should you do attractions in the Saka include uh, the Saka National Museum the political museum the freedom statue which it is important to talk about so after the several decades of colonial history they've gained independence and built the freedom statue which I, I would like to, to bring up in where the fuck is that and then also a pottery factory, so kind of similar to pottery to- barn. <laughs> yeah, uh, a playhouse theater, a golf club. <laughs> this is and- very similar. <laughs> yeah, national he- hero stadium. Ooh, so more sports. The Woodland Stadium, even more sports. To the Saka Central Sports Club, even even more sports. And then the Kalimba Reptile Park, which I want to go to mm. because it sounds sick. Hopefully they have like cool reptiles. Can I interrupt briefly? Because I just Googled the Freedom Statue and it is really freaking cool. Have you seen it? Yeah, I saw it like a small picture of it, but I never brought up the... Yeah, he's called uh, Mutembo and it's a man like with giant chains over his head, like yelling and breaking them, which is freaking metal. I thought when they said freedom, it would be like a sort of generic symbol, like the Liberty Bell or something. But no, this is this is... Really, oh yeah, it is fucking mad. Yeah. <laughs> Oops, sorry, bleep that out. <laughs> we swear all the time. Do we? <laughs> yeah, the podcast is explicit. <laughs> <laughs> we can fucking swear at whatever we fucking want. Nice. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's it is it is both figuratively and literally metal. It is. Right. So yeah, that's that's Lusaka, capital of Zambia, with golf clubs and reptile parks in corn pounded white maize. Would you like to plug anything on the break? Blog has been pending for quite a while now, but I I re-energized and recommitted as per recent life events. So you'll be back on soon. That's the room26.blogspot. Also, see the last episodes of Where the Fuck Is That? It'd be nice. They're cool. They're Bermuda Triangles and all other shenanigans. We're not biased. They are cool. Yeah. (laughs) No, for sure. (laughs) And as always, there might be a YouTube channel (laughs) at some point. I've said that like four times now. But if I keep saying it, it will happen. Gonna manifest it. Yeah, manifest it like Jim Carrey in in the Uh, Hollywood. Hollywood, Yeah. I would, again, like to plug Chromatic Gamement because it absolutely, in an insane turn of events, was fully funded within 48 hours and apparently is being shared with writers from Wizard of the Coast. It is now, yeah, it's now meeting its milestones and the team of writers uh, get bonuses um, with each milestone that is met, so they retroactively get paid more. So if you want to support 
teams of queer writers during Pride Month, and also just get bonuses for meeting the milestones if you're a um, pledger. Go do that. It's great content, if I do say so myself. If you like New York, you like D&D, and you like queer shit, then boom, it's for you. Fantastic. Uh, radical art, maybe? Also radical <laughs> art. <laughs> the thing I do with most of my time. It's paper, the next paper edition, Precipice, is in the works. We are slowly closing um, submissions to the paper, but it is looking like a very interesting piece. Mm, and I'm also, happy. it's not going to be free. Yeah, but you also have a Patreon, no? Is that still up? We do have a Patreon where I believe you can support the paper, but also there are a few merchandise things. As I think we still have tote bags up there, but everything is slowly expanding. Welcome back to Where the Fuck Is That? I said Wait, that, you know. Why did, why did we... Why did you think that this wasn't explicit when the name of the show is explicit? I forgot. <laughs> <laughs> it, it happens on instinct. Because <laughs> okay. most stuff are bleeped, like TV shows and stuff. I'm not sure if Joe Rogan's and all of the other podcasts that were equally as big <laughs> as... <laughs> yes, please compare us to Joe Rogan's podcast. <laughs> Hopefully you'll give us a shout out one day. <laughs> Joe Rogan's name should be bleeped. <laughs> <laughs> No, the algorithm will pick it up. Joe Rogan. <laughs> We're gonna hijack his his feed. <laughs> yeah. Through science. Oh, someone watching the his podcast will be like, you can also view <laughs> where the fuck is that? No, he we don't his, want that. <laughs> he said his name 45 times. <laughs> Start every um episode with just Joe, Joe, Joe. <laughs> yeah. Still a theme song on the breaks. It's just like Joe, 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 Joe Rogan. Joe, 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 Joe Rogan. <laughs> okay, um, let's talk with the Joe Rogan cult. We don't want to summon him. <laughs> Where the fuck is Puebla? What is so, Puebla like? Let's start there. Right. So you know how back in the day, you know, in the olden times, so there are like maps of the world and it was a square people believe there were four corners of the world disputable but yes this is sort of like that but not really basically there's a river going down from north to south it, it is and it's like a national uh, it's like somewhere <laughs> this national is somewhere in the world <laughs> this is this is a, not a valley because we've done that but this is it's just flat plains with yellow grass and there's a river straight your intense your intense stare is scaring me <laughs> north <laughs> south there's a river but also east to west there's a river so somehow I, I don't know the science of it because i'm no water uh person like what would they be called i don't know hydrologist hydrologist i'm no hydrologist but the river one river flows perpendicular to the other river creating an x and so Puebla is split among these four land masses in the river. And then there obviously a bridge from one corner to that other corner. And then a bridge over that bridge from the bottom left corner to the top right corner. And the bridges don't connect. It's one over the other. If you want to get one bridge, you got to jump down. Um, it sounds like a logic or problem. Climb up. 
<laughs> like how do I cross like each of these bridges only once to get the other side? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sometimes people don't look before they jump and then they fall someone like an old lady's once like broken her knee there or something from like oh, a no. young rascal. Yeah. Uh but Puebla is split into these four districts. Uh and somehow by the nature of this planes being split in this way by hydraulic pressure uh, the the weather is slightly different in each of the four districts so like it's not going to be too different because it's still the same place but on the top corner you might have it raining and then but below that might just be a big humid just like threatening terrain and then to the left is like light hailing and then to the the, the there's so many corners to the top <laughs> left corner it'd be like at least four raining but there's a bit of sun so it's like there's there are different climates which is like the slightest fraction but those tiny incremental differences and the the conflicts that can arise between the bridges that people have sort of like they're all problems but they Pebbles. have started you know developing like you know gang culture like you know post-gold war type stuff that's been going on because of just the pure unnatural <laughs> geography of the place you really said the four genders with threatening to rain, rain, slight rain, and <laughs> rain and sun. <laughs> that was hail as well. Oh, hail. I'm so sorry. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so, so that's how Pueblo is like uh, in terms of climate and, and geography. What were they, uh, what are the people like though when you're talking about like these postcode wars? Yeah. So, well, let me just note this down for my own uh, sanity. Uh, the four corners <laughs> they all have names you see hard to remember so just give me a moment northeast northwest southwest southeast in this episode the Weiss works out the cardinal directions <laughs> in the northeast they, they tend to get a bit more rain than all the rest and they can see over the bridge the places when they're not raining or even they are raining, they still have like a bit of sunshine. And so they sort of started growing uh, like slight resentment against the other Puebloan districts. They have this view of themselves as sufferers, like long time sufferers, but that gives them the sort of resilience. So whatever comes their way, they're like, eh, and shrug and move on with their day. So it's like they're strong, but that relies on some apathy. So it's like, I do really strong, you know, because maybe... It sounds like they need therapy. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think apathy is a good emotion to experience as a basis. Yeah, so I'm just going to say, maybe a part of emotional intelligence is being like, this sucks, but they've gone past that to like, this is just how it is. But that's not not a a, a desirable way of thinking. So that's the Northeast. Uh, In the Southeast, so... They're so like the middle child. They don't get it too difficult either way. They've not really been part of any bridge conflict. There's, this is just always somehow not there. You know, wrong place, the right, wrong place. What's it called? Right, wrong place, right time, right place, wrong time. 
the right place at the wrong time. Right. So basically being in the wrong place <laughs> at the wrong time. They're not that kind of people. They're just not there when conflict happens. Now, because of that, feel left out because it's all like northwest glaring at northeast and, and then southwest glaring up at northwest. And then it's just southeast who feels like the other people are excluding them through Pueblo culture by not trying to get them involved in these gang wars. So they really try and puff up how dangerous they are, you know, as they're going past the bridge, they might like shove someone, but like the other people are too too busy shoring up their defenses against the other two corners to really concentrate on the southeast. Not uh, as me, the... senpai. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. Uh, the Southwest, uh, they, 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 they were the ones who got the hail, if you remember, just about five minutes ago. Uh, they I felt like a, an attack, but okay. <laughs> I'm speaking to everyone. Yeah, they actually have more of a connection to, to the outside world. They somehow, you know, they're more accessible because the other ones, yeah, it's a, a great plane, but there's not much to those other directions, those other cardinal directions. But to the southwest, there's another village within like uh, 15 miles or something. And they, they've started trading with them and they, they're in good terms. And once the, the conflicts with the bridges started happening, they do like Puebla and they like being Pueblan. But this other village doesn't seem to have as many worries and troubles as they do. And so they're sort of like thinking about defecting and some people already started, you know, uh, moving over to this other village called uh, Pink. 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 Uh, yeah, yeah. It's the village of Pink. So a lot of the Southwest is defecting, but that means that the ones that stay are the ones truly the village of Puebla and the ones that are ready to fight. So they've started uh, going online and doing YouTube tutorials on, on Kung Fu. <laughs> oh my God, I didn't realize this would be such a political hotspot. Yes. And then Northwest. Dear listeners, you ever get so angry that you go online and do a Kung Fu tutorial? <laughs> Maybe one day. Uh, I'm now, to be fair, it might, might be tomorrow. <laughs> Northwest, they, they got a bit of sunshine. So yeah, they're the diplomats. Uh, they're the, the glass half full type people. They believe Puebla can be a better place. They, they're planning to build more bridges, maybe even create dams. Um, Metaphorical building more bridges as well. Yes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so they, they want to create embassies on the other corners of Puebla, even though it's the same city. And then uh, if that fails, they're going to blockade all corners of the river so that the bridges are no longer an issue and you can just walk over the the now dry riverbank. Um, also, that really fuck with the water supply, uh, but they're willing to do it in the sake of peace. Lawful good energy, okay. <laughs> so that's Pueblin people. Oh my God. What, what, was, what was Pueblin like before all this crazy, crazy political strife? Basically... Puebla started its inception in quadruplets, I mean. So four brothers uh, would walk up to the riverbank with the big X, because it's two perpendicular rivers, uh, and they'd 
skip stones and they always compete at, at skipping stones for some reason they've decided they each decided that different banks of the river got you you're able to skip stones better so obviously the in the southwest that one of the brother pablo uh it was like ah shit this, the hydraulics here are much better and then he started skipping stones there instead and then they all split into the four corners each believing that their corner was the optimal stone skipping spot and then eventually <laughs> they all amounted wealth in the crusades and oh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh wow they came, they came back there and now being very competitive as fellow knights and having a bit of money they were like oh we weren't able to settle our stone debate but now we can each create corners and then the one with the biggest village will win and then they were all sort of even and then they all just merged into one city once the bridges were were built and everyone forgot about the four brothers uh but their spirit their competitive spirit uh is set to live on and might be what's fueling the the conflicts uh to ghosts again no ghosts no no it's <laughs> like spirit no spirit no literal spirit spirit energy uh uh a legacy vibes uh, yeah vibes so pablo paulo patrice P- yeah pierre and patrice uh i thought i thought i recognized the names um <laughs> Okay, well, what do, when you're not like planning um, insurrection and violence, etc., uh, what what can I do in Puebla? Right, okay. Well, they have the national stone, skip it, not national, local. <laughs> the, the country they're in doesn't very much like them. I think they're too much, they're too much trouble. But it's the, it's the local uh, stone skipping tournament. Obviously, these are big rivers. Uh, so the objective is to get your stone to the other bank of the river, but that rarely happens. But if it does happen, uh, you get a big prize, which is you get your name written on a padlock and and put on the on the on the bridge, the big bridge, one of the bridges. Uh, not many tourists ever made it, but if you went there, you could be the first tourist to have your name on the padlock in one of the bridges of your choice. I feel like that would cause more strife if uh, a strangero came around and just was like, oh, that was easy. And then all the (laughs) Pueblans are like, oh. (laughs) Yeah, but they respect it, you know. They they, they wouldn't like you, but they wouldn't like, oh, take out your your padlock of a boat cutter or anything. (laughs) They like canoeing, naturally, but there have been canoe altercations not sure how they recognize each other whilst canoeing since it's all the same river but like somehow they know you know just like when, when i see another brazilian i'm like oh you're a brazilian equally when they see someone from the northwest they're like ah you're from the northwest so as they canoeing past each other you know you might just Puh! oh sorry the, my paddle got away from me isn't this and like literally just... everyone who lives in london like oh south london oh north london <laughs> yes but made worse by geography of perpendicular rivers has there uh, ever been an incident of um a fatal fatal um double planning where the stone skimming festival and the canoeing race happened at the same time oh no for sure that that was a that was a big that someone died in 16 is 1703 uh and so it was a really good the legendary skip thrower uh skipping P- Pietro, uh, 
<laughs> it's all peas in this place because it's called Puebla. Uh, and so Pietro was legendary. He'd he'd already gotten his name. It, it wasn't padlocks back then. Uh, they just ride it on a handkerchief and then tie it around the around the bridge. But anyways, he he was legendary. He'd done it twice. Uh, the second time around, they couldn't tie it again, so they just made gave him a banquet. So he was gonna do it again. Uh, but then he skipped so strong. That same old lady who broke her knee. Hit her oh, no. Oh. <laughs> yeah, this was back in 1703. I'm, I should have said. And yeah, it's very, very sad. Very accidental. And then they were, they were sure to never let the two events crisscross again. I uh, I think I read about that in the memoir. Um, what was it? Um, Pad- Padlock's Poor Piero? <laughs> Yeah, that, that that blew up. It's the one yeah, cultural uh, big one. influence in, in the world. <laughs> well, you said he was having a banquet. So what is the food yeah. like there? They they grow a lot on, on the river itself. So it's a lot of, um, well, it's not seafood, obviously, because there's no sea, but it's like river food. So like fresh fish, uh, they'll do stuff with algae. So like to really spruce things up, like they wouldn't have just a fish. They put like fish meat, I don't know, slaver and butter, wrap it in algae and then put it in the oven. Swampiness. Soggy. Yeah, soggy <laughs> texture. They they have electric stoves and stuff, but they they like, you know, cooking stone ovens. Like they like campfires. Naturally, they like marshmallows as well. They, they like have... cooking like hot stones because of their scheming tradition. Yes, yeah, exactly. Their marshmallows are salted. They, they have Ooh. salted marshmallows as well, salted and sweet marshmallows. And then obviously there's a divide, southwest and northwest, <laughs> like salted marshmallows. Oh! No. The, the rest like sweet marshmallows. And then there's always a, like, when they all gather around for the communal campfire experience, every corner agrees to do, because it's, it's really important for them. Again, it sometimes just be an argument breakout, like... Pfft. How dare you? This guy sorted, sorted socks. And then it's like, nah, sweet, sweet, it's horrible. And then someone gets thrown into the river or something. Yeah. <laughs> and for, uh, for dinner, they might have crab because there's a native species of crab that inhabits this river. It's just big, not as big as the biggest crab. Big like, crab. Yeah. It's, it's not like a huge megaphone no crab or anything it's not prehistoric it's not like a spider a, crab or outlandish yeah it's just a bit smaller than the biggest crab species but it just so happens to be to be blue so, so you're special. going to skyrim then <laughs> <laughs> i see you <laughs> what do you mean what are they called mud mud something they're called mud crabs okay <laughs> You know these these are called there's these are called river mud crabs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and Bethesda actually went to Puebla and um, yeah, that was the inspiration. Uh, so you know the algae I mentioned, it's mm-hmm. it grows. <laughs> That's why they like having it with their food. Their food is iridescent. They have mollusks, uh, snails, escargot. They like French culture because of this one similarity they share. <laughs> so it's like you know if someone's gonna go out of Puebla they, they go to France most of the time Paris they're like sister city yeah exactly yeah unfortunately Paris doesn't pay much attention to Puebla but much like the southeast 
Pebla will one day get their attention for just <laughs> rumbaciousness. <laughs> they'll skip a, skip a stone so hard it'll fly into the sand and then they'll have to pay attention. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Would you like to know what Pueblo is like? Uh, yes, very much so. I have a little nice introduction from TripAdvisor. Oh. Pueblo lives in the shadow of the active Popocatapeti volcano, which took me a long time to try and pronounce which provides a spectacular backdrop to one of Mexico's Pueblos Magicos, Magic Towns, which are is like a tourist um, gambit, basically. There's a lot of like things that become a magic town, but um, it's basically each town is a specific tourist um, experience, which I think is pretty clever. I think Ireland does the same kind of thing where it leans into like, ooh, mysticism and mm. you know, uniqueness. Um, but it's characterized by its tel- colorful um, Talavera tiled buildings, which is like the specific type of pottery. And hailed as the birthplace of our mole poblano, which is Mexican basically food at its best. It's this type of food, which we'll get onto. But okay. it is located in the Valley of Puebla, also known as but the Valley of Cuetlax Cuapan, which has a really metal name, um, which translates as where serpents shed their skin. Should have gone to the valley. Uh, I knew I knew it was a valley. Well, nine <laughs> times out of ten, it's a valley. <laughs> we love a valley. A large valley is surrounded on four sides by mountains and volcanoes of the Trans-Mexican Volcano Belt. It is 25 miles east of Popocatapeti and Iztaccíhuatl, which are volcanoes, um, giving residents views of the snow-topped peaks. And due to the proximity of Popocatapeti, Puebla sometimes um, gets exposed to ash and dust that emanates from this active volcano, most recent occurring in 2013. Um, so it's subtropical highland climate, high altitude, even higher than um, your place at um, 2,200 meters. And it doesn't really get hot. It's kind of an average temperature. On average, for about three days, it only sees temperatures rising above 29 degrees Celsius. So it is the seat of the Puebla municipality, the capital and largest city of the state of Puebla, uh, the second largest in colonial Mexico, and the richest of the Catholic diocese. What does that mean? It's like, I think a diocese is like a, like a region of like Catholicism, basically. Oh, all right. I believe. Or it's just like where like priests can be assigned to. It's not much religion in our cities, is there? <laughs> no, we actually should probably go into that a bit more. Yeah. Um, uh, it's, it actually seems to be quite um, renowned. A lot of um, big like uh, universities are there and a lot of students go there. Um, it excels in industry, has the world's largest Volkswagen factory outside of Germany, and an Audi plant in San Jose, Chiapa, which I think is like a district in it, which is, this is pretty cool, the most technologically advanced plant in the Western Hemisphere. Oh, cool. So, a lot of cool stuff. But what are the people like? So, you've probably heard of Cinco de Mayo. Every year on May 5th, um, they celebrate the defeat of invading French troops, which we'll get on to later, which is a several-day festival of concerts, lectures, cultural activities. There's a big parade and a reenactment of the battle, the Battle of Puebla. This includes, like, the Mexican army, the navy, special forces, soldiers dressed up in parade uniform, like, and for, like, the period uniform. Um, They have tanks, Humvees, armored personal carriers, um, and then civilian participation includes school bands, students, and floats, and stuff like that. But yeah, what was it like? So the city was founded in 1531 as a Spanish city, but the valley was not populated in the 16th century or pre-Hispanic period because the area was primarily used for flower wars, which were um, this type of like ritual battle 
which our friend actually is a semi-specialist in. So I won't go into too much detail <laughs> about um, what a flower war exactly is because it's, it's disputed. But basically it's uh, like this cultural event of uh, mm-hmm. war. So it's an important city and region in the history of New Spain since it was a central region of Spanish settlement, um, midway point between the port and the capital and had a large indigenous population and drew many Spanish settlers. It supplied the capital with commercial growth for agricultural products and became the center of a local textile production. Nice. So going to skip stuff about American occupation, 1847. <laughs> stuff. That's what Americans, I did. <laughs> yeah. Americans came over. They took it over without any casualties. And then it was taken back again. But the main one, I think, is the French intervention in Mexico on um, 5th of May, 1862, which is the Battle of Puebla which defending Mexican forces under Ignacio... Is already a Battle of Puebla? This is the Battle of Puebla. Oh, okay. The one that, yeah. The aforementioned Battle, okay. At the aforementioned Battle of Puebla, Mexican forces were under the best-named guy ever, Ignacio Zaragoza. Nice. Which, actually, um, Puebla is sometimes called... Well, it's like Puebla de Zaragoza, mm. or like his name, or sometimes, it, before that, it was known as heroic, heroic Puebla de Zaragoza. So this basically this battle is so defining for the culture because they were fighting off um, foreign invaders, basically. Yeah. Um, so they defeat the French army. Uh, the city's name yeah, it is, um, was changed to Pueblo de Zaragoza in 1862 by decree issued by someone else. Blah, blah, blah. Uh, and then this their identity was sort of solidified in this. Mm-hmm. But even though it's like it's its own place now, it still has those Spanish roots. It was nothing and then built by the Spanish. So yeah. It's like based around like a plaza. Um, it has like markets and things and sort of um, the sort of Spanish style. So it's interesting that it is like this very significant point of Mexico and Mexican culture, which we'll get into later, but has such a solid foundation in this colonial route, which is mm-hmm. sort of this weird sort of reclaiming of what it is, I guess, yeah. Mexican. But for the food, this is where it comes in interesting because they've actually got a lot of famous food and fun stories about it. So the best known mole, which I think is like a sauce thing, is named after the city of Puebla, which is Mole Poblano. Um, the origin of the sauce is disputed and there are two fun legends. Two. Nice. Love a legend. <laughs> One of them is more sounds more accurate than the other. So the first states that in the 16th century, nuns from the convent of Santa Rosa were worried because they had found out that the archbishop was going to visit and they had nothing to prepare for him except old turkey. So supposedly due to divine inspiration, they began to mix together many spices and flavoring they had on hand in the kitchen, including different types of chili peppers, spices, day-old bread, chocolate, and approximately 20 other bullshit things they found in the cupboards. They let it simmer for hours, poured it over the turkey meat, and of course the archbishop loved it. He loved it so much and it became famous. <laughs> the other one sounds more of, it has more of a historical flair. Um, it states in, it's a pre-Hispanic sauce that was served to Hernan Cortes and other conquistadors by, um, oh, this name is going to kill me. Motikosoma Shokuyosini. No, Shokuyosin. Motikosoma Koshuyosin. Motikosoma Shokuyosin. Sokot Yasin, that's it. Okay. Yep, this sort of Aztecs are leader. They have a preparation called um, chili muli, which is chili pepper sauce. But this story doesn't have evidence that chocolate was ever used in it, blah, blah, blah. And then all these food critics and gourmets are like arguing over this. Oh, where was the chocolate introduced? Blah, blah, blah. But main point of the story is that the famous turkey in the Mole Poblano, which also contains chocolate, 
is considered the pinnacle of Mexican cooking tradition. So, yeah, it's kind of crazy that this like one meal in this um, one town, which came from these sort of variety of struggles, has now sort of defined Mexico in a sense. Hmm. So it's really impressive. Another famous dish is um, chilies in Nogada, uh, which was apparently invented here. Um, and then it has another story. Of course it does. So this one has got three sisters from Puebla who met officers. Oh, no. Why couldn't it be four? <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. You're not that lucky. Also, it's n- there's no bridges or water, I can tell. <laughs> Are there just- stones? Probably. It floods a lot. So, um, But they were they met officers from Augustine de Trouillet's army of the three guarantees in Mexico City, and they fell in love with them. Um, and attempts were made to engage the couples, but one problem, and a small problem, was that none of the sisters knew how to cook, and apparently this was the only <laughs> way they could impress them. So, <laughs> Upon returning, I love the mother in this story, upon returning to Puebla, their mother sent them to the convent of Santa Monica to learn how to cook, because it was this serious. Uh, they decided they wanted to make an original dish to um, impress Trier and his officers. Um, and the dish, um, chilies and nogada, represents the colors of the Mexican flag. So oh. green has parsley, white is the walnut sauce, the nogada, and red is pomegranate seed. And it was served for the first time at a banquet for Trier, with, of course, great success. Yeah, it's never been great success. Yeah, it's never like, and they hated it. (laughs) (laughs) Disgusting. Um, So yeah, nuns know how to cook. Um, So what can I do in this um, crazy, almost pop-up town, in a sense? (laughs) It's just literally in the middle of this desert, um, this desert valley. So because you've got the trans-Mexican volcano built, you can go to Volcan de Coxicumat, which is the smallest volcano on the earth, even though it's not a volcano, it's an inactive geyser. According to the, another local legend, because they love a legend, this volcano is the love child of Izi Tai Sewaki and Popo Katepati. So the two volcanoes bonked and oh, made, made a geyser. Okay, right. It's, it's a little growing. Yeah, it's it's like you can go up and like a little like um like set of metal stairs to it, so it's pretty small. Really, it was actually formed as a buildup of hydrogen sulfide after Popo Tepati um, erupted in 1064. But the fun part, back in its heyday, because geysers have heydays, it was used as a place to dispose of city's trash. And even more interestingly, the bodies of people who committed suicide as they weren't considered worthy of appropriate burial. Oh, wow, that got dark. <laughs> yeah, they, they apparently threw bodies into the geyser, which just is crazy. But anyway, I mean, Catholics did worse. <laughs> they had also the Museo Internacional de Barocco, the Brock Museum, uh, which is designed by a Japanese architect and is earthquake resistant and is all made of concrete and glass and things. They have the Estrella de Pueblo, which is like basically Mexico's turn to the London Eye. It was once the largest observation wheel in the world at the time when it was built, but it now remains the tallest in Latin America. So there's another cool feature. In terms of uh, the flower wars and the sort of pre-Hispanic history, there is the Cantona Ruins, which are a Mesoamerican archaeological site, um, like an hour away from it. So the evacuations, excavations even, have begun, but it's believed that less than 10% of the original ancient city can be seen today. So still a lot to go. So you can see like cobblestone causeways, patios, private residences, to ball courts, temples, and Acropolis. Acropolis. It was believed to be some kind of trading route through the Gulf um, mm-hmm. Coast and Central Highlands. I thought there might have been a city underneath the city. That'd that would be cool. There might be. I mean, considering it's only 10% of it has been made, if it's a really giant city, maybe there's still like remnants of archaeological material under Puebla. Yeah. 
but who knows? There is the Church of Santo Domingo, which has changed its name now, but it was initially destroyed, this is pretty cool, in 1607 as a sign of rebellion during the Spanish invasion, which I guess is a big deal when you have like the Spanish at the time with uh, hyper uh, capitalism, Catholicism, <laughs> probably that too, um, with all <laughs> indulgences and stuff. But yeah, as you know, to destroy a church, that's pretty, yeah. that's pretty big. Yeah, Pablo um, and Piero, they were there. It's part of the crusade. <laughs> yeah, it's when you said the crusades, I was like, hmm, this does tie in, but not in a good way. <laughs> They've got Biblioteco Palafoxiana, which is... Okay, so it's just a library, right? But then I looked more into it, and it was established in 1646, which means it's the oldest public library in the Americas, like collectively, oh. which is crazy. There are 41,000 pieces of Mexican international literature from books to manuscript, many of which date back um, to the 15th century. There's a lot of like, I don't know, like when I first read about this place, the fact that it sort of came from nothing, I kind of was like, oh, okay. But then every time I read something, they're like, oh yeah, this is the biggest thing ever. This is the most important (laughs) thing ever. I was like, what? (laughs) What is this town? (laughs) But finally, it's a sort of small thing. They have the Cayon de los Zapos, so the Alley of Toads, which is intriguing. Uh, Are there toads? Is that just the name? They're actual um, toads? They're rare toads. Nice. Uh, so it's one of the most famous streets and it's characterized by bright yellow, orange, and blue buildings. So the name came from when the San Francisco River flooded its banks and to take advantage of the excess water, the locals built mills around it, which in turn brought in abundance of toads to the area. So they're like, oh, well, flooded, we'll make a water mill. <laughs> um, and then all these frogs came and in a really, I don't know, like it just seems a really nice, easygoing way. They then made a fountain with a toad on it to commemorate this history which mm. i don't know i feel like a lot of places would have been like okay we've got to exterminate all toads but no but it's like <laughs> oh remember the toads that was great yeah um, no that is pretty fun <laughs> yeah so it's um they've got toad alley market and you can get um antique books and talavera pottery and all lots of different things and uh, just drawing it up because we mentioned tunnels before there have been rumors of a system of tunnels under the city oh cool long considered to be an urban legend, they were rediscovered in 2015 and are believed to be up to 500 years old. Well, always look for tunnels, even when you think they're not there. A lot of creepy <laughs> tunnels in these cities and no explanation of why. Yeah, yeah. In my Puebla, they're trying to build a tunnel so under the river. <laughs> it's still in construction. What do you think of Puebla, though? It's a really fascinating place. Yeah, there's a lot going on from volcanoes to, like, churches to streets it's uh oh, it's pretty deep. pretty overwhelming i guess going there trying to do everything because i think when i first heard of it i initially thought puebla is in pueblo like meaning town and i was mm. like oh so it's just gonna be it's literally it's a place called town it can't be that fancy but i was like no <laughs> everything's happening here this is a this is a cultural hotspot <laughs> i would not visit your puebla i'm afraid because <laughs> it just doesn't sound like a place i want to go uh <laughs> I'm not keen enough on stone skimming to risk all the chaos around me. You can go in the canoe. It's a natural wonder when you've ever seen perpendicular rivers. I feel like um, I could see a picture and be like, oh, yeah, that's an X. Nice. And then that would be my interest. <laughs> what about um, what about my little retirement village? Would you go? Yeah, no, for sure. I'd retire there once my working time was done. Go there and I just have fun. Like, yeah, that fun knowing that to the, the hip youth, I was unwelcome. And I just draw strength from that. Like a lich. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you might die. die. But I got money. And I bought a house, so I'm here now. 
I'd be like the grouchy old man. He'd be like, get off my lawn. I feel like that'd be a lot of fun. What about real Lusaka? Real Lusaka? Yeah, well, I mean, like, I don't think, like, I could see anything that I would, like, personally want to, like, go to in terms of, like, it seemed to be very, like, sports heavy or, like, these other different things. I was like, I mean, it sounds all right, I guess. It sounds like a nice location, at least. Mm. I'd like to see but there wasn't anything that was kind of like hmm yeah I need to go see that you know it's not Kiev <laughs> it's not nothing will be Kiev <laughs> yeah. uh, what about go, you nine to football uh I would I mean are you into football no <laughs> <laughs> I, I I'd, I'd like the sound of the reptile zoo I there was also I think a, a monkey something like retreat that I missed out in my description so I'd go for like all the animal related stuff. Yeah. That was fun. So just shout out our sponsors, um, TripAdvisor, um, Duolingo, um, uh, Joe Rogan. Joe Rogan. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, guess Bill Gates and the COVID vaccine as well. Yeah. Big yeah. Ups. yeah, sure. Elon Musk. Elon Musk, Grimes. <laughs> Anyone else we want to put in the hate list, apparently? <laughs> <laughs> this has been. Where the fuck is that? Where the fuck is that? <laughs> Bye. Bye. Do we rate them? Is that later? We we rate them at the end. I we think. rate them at the end. We take okay. a break now. Oh, nice break. Oh. <laughs>